You may be seated. I'll read the portion of God's Word that serves as the basis for the sermon today. Uh, It's printed and it's also projected on the screens. And then don't forget that in the worship folder there are sermon notes for you to follow along during the sermon. You can fill in those blanks. If you're watching online, those notes are available on our website as well. God's Word for us today from Matthew chapter 19. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? he inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. This is the word of the Lord. You shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not slander, you shall not covet with desires that are greedy, anything. The Ten Commandments, pretty straightforward, wouldn't you say? Quite clear, uncomplicated, very precise. I mean, they're not overwhelming in any way in their words. 179 of them, to be exact. I gave you just the headers of the original text in Exodus chapter 20, 179 words. Compare that to the Declaration of Independence, which is 1,300 words. Or the average amount of words a woman speaks in one day, can you, can you guess how much that is? Do you think it's close to the Declaration of Independence? Yeah, it's, it's uh, kind of about 10 times that. It's 19,000. Maybe that's 20 times that. Even more than that, the U.S. government document for the regulation of the sale of cabbage is 26,911 words. 
So comparatively, these, these documents, or maybe women when they talk, can be pretty complicated and overwhelming. But the Ten Commandments are not. Yet, yet for the fact that the Ten Commandments in their form and their words are not hard to understand and are not complicated, they are complicated to keep. They are hard to follow. They do burden our conscience with overwhelming guilt because we know we haven't kept them. As a matter of fact, they are impossible for anyone to keep perfectly. So what good is the law if, if people don't keep it? Well, we might have an answer about that, especially in our civil society. Even laws that everyone doesn't keep are beneficial and helpful because they curb bad behavior. Uh, traffic laws, for example. It's important for us to realize as we approach the Ten Commandments that God gives them to us for greater purposes, for a bigger purpose than curbing bad behavior. God wants to bring us closer to himself with the Ten Commandments. God wants to bless us even before we obey the commandments, even when we disobey them. So let me put it this way. If you're a follower of Jesus, and that's an important part of this statement, you need to be a follower of Jesus, a believer. If you're a believer and a follower of Jesus, the Ten Commandments that you do not keep actually bring you as close to Jesus as the Ten Commandments that you do keep. That statement is a big one, and I know it takes some explanation, so I'm going to explain it by the story of the rich young man Jesus met. And he shows the truth of that statement to encourage us as we think about what the Ten Commandments are and what they do in our lives. So, it starts at verse 16 in Matthew chapter 19. The story of the rich young man. Perfect introduction to our series on the Ten Commandments. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? I don't get the impression that this is a trickster and he's trying to trap Jesus in some way. Uh, some commentators say that. Uh, I just, I don't see that here. This guy asks a universal question that is true no matter what your religious background or your ethnic background. It's natural for all of us to think about doing good. We have this inner inclination for an inner good in our lives. We have this, this yearning to make a positive difference in the world. It's true of all people by nature. He's simply asking an honest question. And then when people know about a heaven or an afterlife, they start to connect the dots, and because of this natural inclination, then think, good people go to heaven. So that's where this guy is at. That's where he's coming from. And it's all natural in us. Here's what Jesus replies. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, the man inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said.
What's not surprising there is when Jesus, when, when the man asks, you know, what, what must I do to gain eternal life? What must I do? Well, Jesus says, if, if you want to gain eternal life on your own by doing something, then you have to keep the commandments. That's not surprising that Jesus says that, is it? But were you a little bit surprised when the man says, which ones should I keep? Were you a little surprised that Jesus did not say, uh, well, maybe all of them? But he doesn't say that. When the, when the guy says, which one should I keep? And again, I think he's really, he's genuine. I don't think he's trying to sneak around here. He's asking some good questions, and he's trying, this young man. And Jesus says, well, keep commandments 4 through 8. What about 1 through 3 and 9 and 10, Jesus? You missed some. Even confirmation students can name all Ten Commandments, Jesus. Why did he say, why did he just mention Commandments 4 through 8 to this man? Because he was meeting this man where the man was at, and, and this young man needed to come to grips with a claim that he had in his own heart, something that he believed that he needed to let go of, that he needed to correct this misunderstanding, and Jesus was trying to bring him close, step by step, and this was the first step. And here was his misunderstanding when it came to those commandments 4 through 8. All these I have kept. Right, commandments 4 through 8 uh, have to do with our horizontal relationships, our relationship with other people, and how we treat them. And either because this man had a misunderstanding of those commandments... Or he had a misunderstanding of himself, probably both. He says, oh yeah, I've loved my neighbor as myself. No problem, I've done it perfectly. Was that true? No. Is it true for you? No. you, You know that that's not true for you. When you tend to compare yourself to others and you get upset at their bad behavior more than you get upset, if at all, at your own bad behavior. Right? When, when you complain that you don't deserve to be treated as, as poorly or as unfairly as, as you feel you're being treated, even by, treated by God, much less other people. Right? So when it comes to our performance in the Ten Commandments, we are a lot less righteous than we think we are. Just like this young man. Jesus makes a, a final point that proves that to be true. And what Jesus does is he switches then from the horizontal commandments, commandments 4 through 8, he switches from those to the vertical commandments by, by asking the man a key question. All right, so now Jesus is focusing on the greatest commandment, and that's how much, loving God above all things. Verses 21 and 22, Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Read this carefully. It wasn't his wealth that made him sad. It was that he had great wealth, and 
when it was compared or contrasted to the treasure in heaven, to Jesus, that's what made him sad. This man wanted to love his great wealth and love Jesus and the same, and he realized he could not do both, and he realized he wanted to love his wealth more than love and follow Jesus. That's what made him sad. When it came to loving his neighbor, this man, yeah, he figured he, he could do that, but he's fully admitting right here that when it comes to loving God more than himself, he fails, that, that he can't do it. Jesus, you're asking too much. Jesus, these, I see it now, Jesus, these commandments, I cannot keep them. Jesus, there's, there's my way and there's your way, and I fully admit, Jesus, that if these ways clash, I want mine and not yours. And right there is why we need the Ten Commandments. Right there, we're in the shoes of this man when we think that we're more righteous than we really are and we need the Ten Commandments, especially the vertical ones that show us where we relate to God. And we need those to convict us so that we stop claiming to be more righteous than we really are on our own, so that we stop comparing ourselves to others and assuming that others treat us more poorly than we treat them so that we come to the point of saying, Lord, I need you. Lord, these commandments are too much for me. I, I cannot keep, they're a burden, I can't keep them. God, I need you. Um, there's, if that doesn't convince you, go to the rest of Scripture. I just put three key scripture verses here that speak very clearly to the fact that none of us are perfect and cannot keep the commandments perfectly, right? Romans 3, there's no one righteous, not even one. Paul writes in Romans 7, there's the good that I want to do. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. There's the good that I want to do and I can't carry it out. And the Apostle James remind us, you know, you can keep every, you can keep almost all of the commandments, and you just break one little iota of a commandment, and you've you've broken all of it. Um, ain't nobody perfect. None of us can keep the commandments perfectly. We're supposed to be perfect, and we're not. That's a realization that is healthy for a person spiritually because we cannot save ourselves and someone has to tell us that so we stop trying. We need you, O Lord. We need you, O God. We need your forgiveness. And Jesus gets there to tell us about it. Look at verses 23, 25. Jesus says, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Great question. Lord, I guess I can't do it on my own, can I? And Jesus smiles and says, Now we're getting somewhere. The biggest creature during Jesus' day in his society was a camel. 
And the smallest opening of any size that, that could be conceived with reality that, that people would experience would be the eye of a needle. And so Jesus uses this little parable here, this little metaphor, to speak to the impossibility of anyone on our own saving ourselves. Because we're just too big. You and I, and this rich man too, we're too big. Big on our own eyes. Big with all kinds of stuff in this world that we load on our shoulders and becomes a burden to us. And it, and it makes us so that we can't squeeze through the eye of a needle. Big. And that's why Jesus says in verse 26, Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Have you ever won at a carnival game? Or maybe I should ask it this way. How many times have you lost at the carnival playing carnival games? You know, like throw the softball at the milk bottles or uh, throwing darts at balloons or, or the basketball hoop, right, making free throws? Oh, I mean, you and everybody else, how many times have you lost? I got news for you. It's all rigged. Does that surprise you? The, the, the carnival sets it up so that they can make money, and they rig it so that it's almost impossible for a person to win. And even those who manage to somehow get lucky and win, there aren't enough of those people so that, that they lose a profit. So you know, you know exactly though how they do this? The, the milk bottles, where they, and these are like metal milk bottles. They're not glass ones. They're metal ones, and they stack them up in a pyramid, and then they give you a softball, and you're supposed to throw it as hard as you can and knock the milk bottles over. They put lead in some of the milk bottles so that they are so heavy you're not going to knock them over. And then there's actually a certain way that, that they set up the bottles so that one of them juts out more than the others. It has to do with physics. I don't understand it all, but it's like, like uh, if you play pool and someone doesn't rack the balls just right or you're, or you're bowling and, and the pins aren't set up just right, so they, they set this up so that you can actually make a direct hit even if you're throwing hard and not knock the milk bottles over. And then the softball isn't a normal softball. It's, they take it apart and then they put it back together and they put, little, they put cork inside or something else lighter so it's not as heavy as a regular softball is. Sorry to burst your bubble there. Speaking of bursting, the uh, throw the darts at the balloons game, you realize that they give you dull darts, right? I mean, you could... Well, don't do that, but it's probably not going to hurt if you do that and try to poke yourself because they're, they're so dull. And the balloons, they only blow up 30% so that they're more bouncy than breakable. And so there's a lot greater chance that you're not going to pop those nice, fancy, colorful balloons at the carnival. The basketball free throw game, don't beat yourself up. You're not a terrible free throw shooter. You're probably as good as LeBron James at the end of the day. But when you go to the carnival, you can't make your free throws. Here's why. The, the hoop, right, the rim is a lot smaller than regulation size. They make it smaller. I knew that. But did you know they actually make it oblong? So they make it oblong. It's, a, it's an optical illusion. They make the round oblong and they make the bigger part toward you and the narrower part toward the back. So to you, it looks bigger than it really is. And then they inflate the basketball super. I mean, like that thing's going to pop, right? They inflate it so it's super, so it's bigger and also bouncier so that you ain't going to make your free throws. Why do they do that? Two reasons. One, they know, they know human beings and human behavior. 
These carnival people are smart. They, know, they get this. So they know when Richard walks up to throw the softball at the milk bottles and he doesn't knock them all down, what's he going to do? I'm going to try again. Right? I, I'm, I'm Richard. I can knock those over. I'm going to do this. Right? Uh, same thing with the darts. Kids or adults, same thing. They know that human behavior will keep trying. And therefore, number two, why do they do it? Because when Richard tries again, he's got to go in his pocket and get out another $3 or $5. And that's the way they make their money. God makes the Ten Commandments impossible. But for the opposite reason that the carnival makes their games impossible. God makes the Ten Commandments impossible for you to keep, not so that you keep trying to earn, his, earn eternal life by your behavior. It's okay to try to keep the commandments, but he makes them so that you, not so that you keep trying, but so that you stop. So that you stop trying to earn his goodness by your performance. And secondly, he makes the commandments impossible to keep, not to exploit you and get something from you. He makes them impossible to keep to exploit himself and to, and to get, actually give something from himself and give it to you. Totally opposite of what the carnival does. Here's a verse that shows you just that. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus did the impossible. Jesus made it through the eye of the needle. Now, to make you just I'm so amazed by that, just stop for a second and think how big Jesus really is. Jesus is bigger than the mountains and the whales and all of the oceans. Why? Because he created them and he rules over them. He's bigger than them all. Jesus is bigger than any of the most powerful empires of the world. I mean, the, the glory and power of his kingdom he, he rules them all. And Jesus is bigger than time. And Jesus is bigger than your problems. And Jesus is bigger than your plans. And Jesus is bigger than sin and death. He's bigger than them all. And yet, he made it through the eye of a needle by becoming small. By giving up his power and his position, by giving up his beauty and his bigness, by giving up, look, look at this verse, by giving up the riches of living comfortably in, in heaven forever, he gave them up and he came to this poor, dirty, dusty, sinful, messy planet. That's what it means that Jesus became small. He took on this verse as poverty. Jesus went through the eye of the needle by becoming small for you. Jesus 
fulfilled the, the justice of God that demanded that your sins, all of your sins against the Ten Commandments, every one of them, be punished justly. And Jesus took that punishment on the cross. And he took the injustice of all of, all of your sins that went on him. All of your not keeping the Ten Commandments, you need to die on the cross. That means that you're forgiven. And it means that you are rich. When it comes to God's promises, we're more righteous than we think we are. I know you don't always feel righteous. I know you don't always feel rich in God. I know you don't, don't always get up in the morning and with eagerness and enthusiasm say, God, you and I are ready to conquer this day. I know you don't always look in the mirror and say, I'm a perfect and holy child of God bought with the blood of Jesus. God knows too. Sometimes you feel defeated. Sometimes you feel like you're full of shame and you cannot be forgiven. Sometimes you feel like you don't want to follow Jesus. You're still forgiven. You're still loved. Jesus still became small and died for you and rose again. None of anything that you feel changes that. That beautiful promise of Jesus that he leads us to as we realize what the Ten Commandments really are and what they, what they make us believe. So, you may not feel forgiven, but you are. You may not feel rich, but you are. You may not feel free from the burden of the Ten Commandments, but you are. You don't have to perform them for God to love you. He already does. Even before you obey the best of them, God loves you already. So you're set free to live free. You're set free to still keep the commandments, but to look at them differently now. And to look at them as, as, as the rules that God gives you that bring you closer to his heart, really. So can you become small like Jesus did? Can you give up your bigness, your beauty, your splendor, your pride, your ego, your preference, your way? Absolutely. You can put that all in his hands and, and, and he'll take your small and make it big. Your Savior Jesus is the very Savior who looked at the widow who gave two small coins, the Bible says, and said, that was a, a richer gift than all the gifts of the wealthy put together. Who took the five small loaves and two small fishes, the Bible says, of the little boy, and he fed over 5,000 people with a big dinner. Jesus says that your faith, which is as small as a seed can move a mountain, something as big as a mountain, have an impact that big. And he says that our church, as small as a little, little seedling, a little sapling or a plant, is growing and becoming as big, as an oak, big and strong as an oak tree. So don't be afraid of being small. Jesus blesses it to become big.
The Ten Commandments. At first sight, we might think that their best purpose is rules to live by, and that the Bible with the Ten Commandments in them is, in it is, is uh, just a, a rule book to guide our living. That's not the best and biggest purpose of the Ten Commandments at all. The first and primary purpose of the Ten Commandments is a mirror. A mirror in which we look and we see, oh, who then can be saved? Lord, I need you. And he sets us free. By his grace, the Ten Commandments are not weights. They don't drag us down. They don't take all the fun out of living. They don't hold us back. They don't imprison us. No, having been fulfilled by Jesus and having Jesus done the impossible, the Ten Commandments are wings. Wings that free us. Wings that remind us, under God's grace, we are rich in God. That by God's grace, Jesus makes our small big and, and blesses us with the commandments and wings under which the breath of the Spirit can help us soar. You do keep the impossible to keep Ten Commandments. Amen.